You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. If you are able, please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 through 18. Consider God's work. Who can strengthen what God has made crooked? When times are good, enjoy the good. When times are bad, consider. God has made the former as well as the latter so that people can discover anything that will come to be after them. I have seen everything in my pointless lifetime. The righteous person may die in spite of their righteousness. Then again, the wicked may live long in spite of their wickedness. Don't be too righteous or too wise, or you may be dumbfounded. Don't be too wicked and don't be a fool, or you may die before your time. It's time that you take hold of one of these without letting go of the other, because the one who fears God will go forth with both. Well, good morning again. I want to invite the kids who are heading to our children's ministry to go with Ms. Crystal and our volunteers. Uh, Thank you to all of our volunteers this morning for serving. We appreciate you all a lot. Bye. Have fun. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) And if you're joining with us online, if you've come in at some point during this, we're grateful that you are here. Feel free to comment. Uh, We can see the comments there, and we can engage back and forth. Uh, And of course, what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, last four weeks, last week of it this week, is looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And Ecclesiastes, I think, is a very tough book of the Bible. What most of us know of Ecclesiastes are some of the real kind of highlights and some of the good verses and some of the fun verses. But when you really dig into it, what I have found and what we have found together is that it's, it's got a lot of really cynical and pessimistic points of view. Some of those you heard in our scripture reading just a few moments ago. But as we've been talking, it's a reminder to us also that we really can't blame the author for their perspective at this point. What we've been talking about is that the author has been and is, at the time of writing, in a very difficult place as they're writing the book of Ecclesiastes, as they're gathering all this wisdom together. Because what they have done is they have searched the entire world over. They've used their influence and their power and their their connections to find the very best wisdom in every culture and in every time. And in searching for that, what they have found is a summary statement that life is meaningless. They have felt wanting for more. And what we've seen also is that it's left the author questioning the goodness of God. They can see things like injustice and hardship and pain and death, and they wonder, like, where is God in all of this? So in conclusion, the writer of Ecclesiastes offers their final bit of wisdom to say, eat, drink, and be merry, because death finds us all eventually. And we're like, great, thank you. That's really helpful. So as we've looked at this book, I've tried to give us a framework of how we can understand it today. And I think it's important for us to understand two things. One, as I said, that when the person wrote this, they were going through a very hard time in their own life, a very dark, a very challenging, very depressing time. And so in a In a way, it reminds us that as we go through these things, we also may not respond perfectly 
to God. We may be pessimistic. We may be cynical. And to me, the fact that Ecclesiastes exists in the canon of Scripture and that we have kept it there and that the church hasn't removed it is a reminder that we can feel these things and God can handle it. And so I think there's a bit of good news in that. But the second piece we need to remember is that when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to read it in the light of Jesus Christ. The author at the time of writing didn't have the revelation of the Messiah. They didn't understand who Jesus was and who Jesus would be. So in many ways, Jesus becomes the answer to the meaninglessness there. It means we can still feel that way, but it also reminds us in a very tangible way that God is with us. So what I want to look at today is how the book ends, because it ends in a very kind of surprising and dynamic way. Maybe it's not the conclusion we hope for, but in that conclusion that we'll look at in just a few moments, I believe is a message of hope that points us forward. So we'll look at the final verses. Uh, it begins with this one in chapter 7, verse 13. And we see this part here in answer to the question of meaninglessness. When the author writes, consider God's work. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? When times are good, enjoy the good. When times are bad, consider God has made the former as well as the latter so that people can't discover anything that will come after. And I think there's an interesting phrase in here, this idea of, of who can straighten what God has made crooked. And what the author is telling us in this particular book is that God is both the source of what is good. We see that here, enjoy the good. And when times are bad, consider God has made the former as well as the latter. And so what the author is telling us is that God has made both the good and the bad. Now remember, this is their perspective on this. And the word that they use there is what God has made crooked. And the definition of that word was one that would have been used to say someone who is bent over. And what they're referring to is what we would call today an abnormal curvature of the spine in medical terms. In those days, they would have said somebody who was humpbacked. They might have also said this word related to someone who was, as we would say today, paralyzed, either from birth or through an accident or through some other way. And really, this was a term that was used back then. It's not a term we would use today, obviously, but for anybody who has a disability. This word was applied to them. And so if you, if you see what I see, the author is saying, God has made this for these people, for us. And if you're like me, you're starting to say, like, well, I got a couple of questions about that. The logic here is that God is in control. And if God is in control, the author thinks, then God could straighten whatever God has made crooked. The frustration for the author is that it is, without, it is outside of their power to change these things in the world. And so God has made the good and the bad, so we just have to take it as it is. And what I want to remind us in the book of Ecclesiastes is the author is writing from a place of pain. And they have presented this to us. I'll come back to this towards the end of the sermon, but I want to remind us that Ecclesiastes is presented to us as a book of collected wisdom, but it's actually narrated on either side by a narrator as a teaching example to say, I recognize that this is how this person feels. We recognize that this is a perspective that people had, that God, yes, causes the good and the bad. 
But part of the ending of Ecclesiastes is to say, that's one way to see it. But there's a different way. So in a sense, what we hear in Ecclesiastes at this part here, I want us to remember that this isn't the full revelation of Scripture. If we think about Genesis to Revelation, the whole book, Old and New Testament, we see something different. We see that God is not the cause of pain and suffering, that God is not the cause of injustice. Do we want God to fix those things faster? Yes. Does God work as fast as we want? It never seems like it. But the writer of Ecclesiastes is having a hard time with that perspective. And so this book is more about helping us understand those moments in time. But even with this misunderstanding of how God works, there's still a sense of truth in this. And the truth comes in verse 714, which I've got up here on the screen. When times are good, enjoy the good. When times are bad, consider. This part right here. God has made the former. I want to focus on these words, God has made. Because yes, the truth is that God is in control in the world. The part that's not true is that God causes diseases or disabilities or virus outbreaks that change the entire world. It is true that God doesn't reveal everything to us, though. And my hunch is when you're going through a rough time, because this is how I feel, that's the most frustrating part. If we could just know what God was up to, if we could just get a sense of where this thing was going or, or a timeline on the pandemic, then we would at least have something we could work towards, right? But a lot of our frustration is because God hasn't revealed everything to us as humans and as individuals. And that struggle of what is not yet to come is the hard in-between place that we live in, the place where we want and need more answers than we have. And so over the course of time, humans have found different ways to mediate this. Our struggle, our desire to know more of what God is doing, and God's desire to not reveal everything to us. And I believe that one of the reasons that God doesn't reveal everything to us is that because we as humans have a tendency to manipulate and to control. We like to do those kinds of things. And what happens when we try to manipulate and control God, when we try to tell God how we think things ought to go, is God becomes more of a vending machine to us, where we can kind of look at all the different options, we can weigh out what we want, what we need, and we can kind of punch in the letters, and God gives to us what we need in the time that we want it. Right? And while that's kind of a fun example of it, to think that we can get what we need out of God— I want us to really dig deep and to think about the ways in which we try and control God, the ways that we try to manipulate it because we don't know what's coming next. And I believe that we do want what's best for ourselves and our community. But sometimes we don't know the full picture of everything. We can manipulate when we try to get out of God what we want. And we try to control God in subtle ways when we think that by, by doing good things or by praying more or reading scripture more, we can earn favor with God. And if we can build up enough favor, then perhaps our prayers will be answered. That sounds pretty obvious to say out loud, but I think we've all done this. I have certainly done this before where I think, you know, if I just pray enough about this problem, then God's probably going to do something. And if I don't pray enough, then it's probably not going to be fixed. 
I won't make you raise your hands, but my guess is that a lot of us have felt that struggle before. My hunch is that many of you have been told this before too, that you're just not reading enough of the Bible, right? Or perhaps we think to ourselves, if I can just do more good or do more whatever, we have this idea that if I do more, then God will respond to that because it'll make God like us more, right? And it doesn't make as much sense when we say it out loud, but but this is so much about how we as humans operate that we think we can kind of gather up favor with God. And the radical message of Jesus is that we are accepted as we are. We read the Bible and we, and we pray and we, we do good things not to earn favor, but because that's what we saw in Jesus. Not to try to get ahead, but to try to serve someone else. And so I want us to put that part out there because I think we need to name that and, and, and call that what it is about the currying favor and, and kind of gathering favor together. One of my favorite authors uh, is Eugene Peterson, and and he had this phrase I came across in a book. Uh, He was writing about the history of the Old Testament, and uh, I realize no one else gets excited probably about the history of the Old Testament in this moment. Like, I'm smiling ear to ear. I'm excited about that. But he said the history of the Old Testament was a sawtooth history, a sawtooth history of, of Israel. I actually got a saw here. That wasn't magic. I just didn't want it to fall. Uh, And he said the history of Israel was a lot like a Saul in that they had ups and downs, and they were pretty dramatic. You don't have to know much about the Old Testament to know that there was a good king, and they did good, and then it seemed like the next year there was a bad king, and everything fell apart, right? Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and everyone else makes a gold cow and worships it, right? Like, how did they get it so wrong? It goes all through the original five books. It goes all through the prophets. All the prophets are talking about is everyone is missing the mark. Everyone is in a valley. And just when we have a good moment, it goes back down. And I wonder to what extent sometimes that feels like it's true for our lives. Like I'm praying and I'm talking to God and, and then I forgot to pray for like a week and a half, right? Or, or like I'm reading my Bible and then I'm not. And it feels like there's this up and down, this up and down. And this is what happens too with God. We, we, when we try to control and manipulate God to do downward things for us. We try to aim kind of our prayers and our good works and our things upward at God so that we can change how God interacts with us downward. And a lot of the lineage of history for us as humans and our faithfulness looks like this. And I don't say that as a, as a thing to guilt us. As I was thinking about that image, I really resonated with the idea of the sawtooth history of Israel, the sawtooth history of our own spirituality. And I was reminded of that moment that there is this flat part on the bottom. And this part here becomes the consistency and the faithfulness of God. So when we in history looks like this, this is God through history. And I just saw this now, this idea that if you notice, the line is always coming closer and closer and closer as a reminder of God and Christ coming closer and closer to us, even when we get it right and even when we get it wrong. To me, this is a good picture of the faithfulness of God. And a reminder to us that God doesn't need us to do and to perform, but just to be in relationship with. So in Ecclesiastes, the author is struggling because 
of the ups and downs, because of the cynicism, because of all those things. But there's another thing that a cynical experience can offer us. Instead of trying to control and to manipulate, it can remind us to trust. And I think that this is God's hope for us in the challenging times, is that we would understand that I can't change or fix or control this. I don't know the full picture, and that's frustrating. But in the hard times, we can trust that God is still faithful and true. And I think a lot of times it's harder to trust than it is to control, because at least with controlling, we feel like we're doing something. And so the author tells us that what has been made crooked can't be made straight again. But what the author couldn't see was Jesus. I want to take us to this verse and invite you to listen for some key words that sound about the same. John went through the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be leveled, the crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. Now, what this passage, as this quote of Isaiah is talking about, is, is all the promises that were there have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And John's call to everybody as they're coming down to the water is to repent of their sins. Our version translates it, translates it change your heart and your lives, because God's coming near. The, the older church word for that is to repent of your sins. I think a lot of times we think of sins as bad things that we do. Again, we've got a lot of focus over here on this doing side of things that we do. But I think a better definition of sin is anything that separates us from God and from each other. Sin is anything that separates us from God and from each other. I think that's a more holistic definition that doesn't focus on perfectionism, but focuses on relationship. Right? What are the things that are keeping me out of relationship with God or keeping me out of relationship with each other. And John invites us to repent or to turn back from our need and our desire and our want to control and to manipulate. This idea of crook, and I got this from Jared, a crooked is, is a crook of someone who takes what is not rightfully theirs. Right? A crook takes what is not theirs. And we try to take from God what is not our responsibility because we want to change outcomes, or we need to see outcomes changed. And so in Jesus, we find the answer to the question of Ecclesiastes of meaning and meaninglessness. And what we find is that in the person of Jesus, God shows up in the world, gives up his divine rights and divine privileges to subject himself to everything under the sun in order to free us from the chaos of meaninglessness in the world. Now, when we first started Ecclesiastes, I gave us a framework of how to think through this. And I told us that if you're familiar with the movie The Princess Bride, you can understand how Ecclesiastes is written. This has been long debated for centuries and centuries, but now that we have The Princess Bride, we can finally understand how Ecclesiastes is put together. Right? Uh, and if you remember, or if you don't, 
the story begins uh, with a young child who is sick and their grandparent who comes to read a book to them. The child doesn't want to read the book. It's a romance story, and they don't want anything to do with that, right? And so he says, let's just give it a shot. And so once he begins reading, we're transported into the characters and the scene and all that kind of thing. And at the end of the movie, it flashes back to this moment, and the boy says, Grandpa, will you come and read to me some more tomorrow? It's one of the classic movies of all times, but what I want us to see is that it's framed with a narrator right here. It's framed with the material in the middle, which is the book, and it's ended by the narrator again. Ecclesiastes works the exact same way. It begins with a narrator presenting to a, a son, as it says in here, which we might call a disciple, someone they're teaching, a pupil, anybody. They tell the story of the writer of Ecclesiastes with their cynicism and their pessimism. And then at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, it flips back to this part in the very last couple of verses as a way of saying, here's the wisdom they gave us. And I would invite you to hear that, but to find a better way forward. To find a way, instead of trying to control or, or getting lost in our cynicism or our pessimism, to find a way out of that. And I think this is helpful for us because as we have gone through this book, it has brought us into some really deep places. And we've been thinking about how this works in the season that we're in. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been gathering together the different prayers of the season. The first week we talked about the things and the prayers in particular that we are needing and wanting God to work in. And we wrote those on leaves and we placed them on the board. And then the second week, we looked at Ecclesiastes 3, where there's a time for everything, for building up and tearing down, right? for embracing, for not embracing. And I invited each of us to write the particular time that they're in. Embracing, searching, building, rising up, healing and repairing, gathering stones. And to put them on the board just as a tangible way of expressing our prayers to God. And so we've gathered all these together, and the author of Ecclesiastes feels like because of all that stuff that's going on, and there's some very real things that are happening on the board and in our lives, that it's just meaningless. But I want to invite us to the very last, <laughs> the very last verse of Ecclesiastes. Now remember, this is the narrator, the, the, the grandfather, so to speak, taking us out of that place where the writer is, and into a different place. And the writer says, the narrator says, so this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Worship God and keep God's commandments because this is what everyone must do. And something about that phrase, all has been heard, just really stuck with me. Because what that phrase doesn't try and do is to say, everything on here is fixed that's not true. Or everything's going to be perfect. What it says is that all has been heard. And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, the good news of God, is that all those seasons and prayers, all the good times that we have and all the struggles of times that we have right now, all has been heard. Would I like all things to be fixed? Yes. Would I like every wrong to be made right, every injustice to be corrected? Yes. Every place where 
someone is excluded because we have perhaps named them as crooked when God has named them as beloved. Corrected, yes. But in this moment, at the end of Ecclesiastes, the narrator says, you've heard all that, and what we need to be reminded of is that all has been heard by God. And so the final advice from the Ecclesiastes grandfather is to worship God and keep God's commandments because this is what everyone must do. Maybe not the most Pinteresty verse to put on your wall or to make art out of, but it invites us to recognize that God can't be controlled or manipulated and that when everything feels meaningless or the future is out of control or unknown, that our choice is to respond with faith. Even if everything doesn't change right away, to know that all has been heard by our parent in heaven. And something about that gives me a sense of peace. Okay, God's heard it, and that's what I need to know. I can say, you know, God's got this. And I know it's not easy to do that, but I also want to remind us that faith is a practice more than it is an automatic thing that just happens for us. Faith is something we have to continue to build up within ourselves, but more importantly, that God builds up within us when we surrender control. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.